Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. Last week, we started a conversation around decisions. And somewhat ironically, we're going to kick off today's continuation on the conversation on decisions about some decisions we had to make on our episode about decisions. So before we dive into exactly what happened, and for those of you who listened to that episode, you know that Cam recorded a little sort of correction that we put into the episode in editing so that we could publish it on time. And we're going to walk through our decision-making process there. But before we do, Cam, I'd like to share something that came up in a client session this morning that I think really accurately described what we did. And I also think it's a really helpful way to think about decisions. Is that all right with you? Yeah. So this client had recently listened to last week's episode and she said, I'm realizing that when I hit a point where there's a decision and I don't know what to do, I treat it like a system failure. I shut down, I walk away, I get overwhelmed, I don't make any progress. And then I repeat that process. You know, I come back to the thing again, system failure. What I'm realizing, she said, is it's more of just an error message. The whole system is not falling down. It's just I've reached a point where I need to figure something out or do something differently, make a decision somewhere so that I can move forward and so that I can clear that error message because the rest of the system is still working and I can move forward. And I thought that was such great language because so often, especially if it's at a point when executive function is low, we get hit with the decision and it can feel like a total system failure, just complete instant overwhelm. So just being able to reframe it and name it as this is an error message what do I need to do to clear this error message is a helpful metaphor for figuring out what's the decision here. What's the roadblock? How do I take the next step or move forward? What needs to happen here? I think what we do is we will often put so much expectation on making the right decision. Yeah. And then when we don't make the right decision, whatever we've built collapses in some way. So your client coming up with that language and that key distinction is really powerful and something she can do something with. What happened over this weekend, the weekend prior to our drop on Monday, when I realized there were some missteps and there was some imprecise language in the last episode, so much so that I felt that we had to do something about it. But when I reached out to you, an early Sunday morning, it wasn't, you notice I wasn't really in a panic. It was really more about like, okay, this is something I think we need to address it and we can address it quickly. And it was kind of like identified, you and I kind of identified the error message and let go of this idea of any kind of system failure. To sort of think about what can we do to fix this or mitigate the situation and move forward. Because Shelly, there was a time, you know, again, last week I was talking about how I would kind of get locked up kind of in this vapor lock around decision-making and not moving forward. There's a time in in a situation like this, it would have had me just freeze and get into that paralysis by analysis. 
just locking in and not being able to move forward, not being able to move backward. So it's getting like stuck in deep snow. Um, And so, you know, being able to work that out and moving forward. And that's what we did. I think that when you see decisions is something that are iterative, that sometimes we got to test them out and maybe it's not right, but we can tweak them. People are understanding. We can redefine some of those agreements we might have. If we overstep a boundary, it's just a matter of finding where that boundary is and redefining that. Yeah. Yeah, And we had to take into account the reality of the situation. It was Sunday. We had an episode due out on Monday. So at that point, re-recording becomes somewhat difficult. And the episode was already on top of that edited and ready to go. So all of that work had been put in. And it was a great episode other than some imprecise language that you wanted to clear up. So your ability to step back, make a decision, and make the good enough decision, you let that be easy when in the past the impulse might have been to scrap the whole thing because it wasn't as clean or precise or perfect as you would want it to be. And I think that's one of the great things about our show, Cam. I know a lot of the feedback that we get are people like that they see the human side of us. We are not perfect people by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So I've got a human side of Cam that I'm going to share right now that is directly related to this. It's so fascinating. You know, it's like indicative of how we approach large projects. And decision making is kind of a big project for us because it's multifaceted. It's integrated into so much of what we do in our day and executive function and brain function. And, you know, it was funny where I approached it or my entry point was around the idea of what I said was choice theory. What I meant by that was really about how we make decisions, how the brain makes decisions. I missed the biggest part, Shelly, like the obvious thing as I'm like, again, looking at this and considering it. You know, our listeners are asking, but yeah, but why are why is decision why is decision making so hard? Like, just answer that question for me, please. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm going into little water bugs turned on their side. <laughs> so I want to go back to that and just sort of set the the stage for that, and then we're going to get into decision making in the day. Yeah, sound good? Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Why are decisions so hard? First of all, it is something that puts a demand on the prefrontal cortex, which is where these executive functions are housed mostly. It's also a lot of integrated parts of the brain. But just go back to the big three of ADHD around distractibility, impulsivity, and hyperactivity. And it's that impulsivity one. Impulsivity is that inability to inhibit. Brains are basically giant inhibitors, always voting no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's inhibiting device. ADHD makes it so that that ability to inhibit or pause and consider and reflect and weigh, that space is diminished. That's diminished. And so that gap or that space between the stimulus and the response is shorter. And that's often the space where decisions are made. And that's what I was talking about, that, dis- that choice point or decision point kind of lives in that space there. 
So there's a famous quote around this whole stimulus response thing. It's Viktor Frankl. He's an Austrian neurologist, psychologist. He's a Holocaust survivor. And his quote is, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So that's powerful. And so the power that lies in that between the incoming stimulus and our response to that stimulus. And with ADHD, there's a neurological reason that our space, that gap, is much, much smaller. So we have less opportunity to really see the opportunity for making an informed choice or decision. Cam, I love that quote, and it speaks to a primary challenge so many of my clients have when we talk about the three-step time management system. You do your brain dump, you do your master list, and now you've got this daily list of things that you have chosen and committed to. Why aren't they happening? There's a lot of potential reasons here, but one big one is getting caught in that reactive mode. So having some other stimulus come in, big, small, or otherwise. I was talking to a client today who is so deep in email all the time. She's a service business, so it is important to be responsive. But she's so deep in email all the time, she can't ever get to a project because she is reacting to email the moment it comes in. She's not stopping to make a decision about reacting to the email. She's just reacting, reacting, reacting all day long. And so those bigger Q2 things, some of the things that she wants to start building passive income with aren't happening because she's being perpetually interrupted by and reacting to these emails. And so what I often see with my clients with ADHD is there's a decision point there that's not being recognized because the stimulus comes in and we just start to react. We just immediately start to respond to what is happening, forgetting completely what was in front of us, moving on to the next thing. So then if we even remember what it was that we were working on prior to that interruption, now we have the problem of it takes 20 minutes to regain the same level of focus that you had prior to an interruption. Multiply that by 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 emails a day or whatever it is that is interrupting or distracting you, whatever it is that you are stopping and reacting to rather than pausing and making a decision to engage or not engage. And it's no wonder we feel like we can't get to the things on our list. Now, that's not the only reason. There are some other non-decision-making things here like motivation and avoidance that I think we can cover in future episodes because those live out of the realm of decision. So it's not the only thing at play here, but it is certainly a big one in terms of our days not going the way that we intended them to. I think with emotion, if we have kind of um, more emotion or we're back more in the limbic system, that gap starts to close. And anyone with ADHD who has a spouse or a partner, again, it's a symptom response type dynamic where there's the input and there's one person responds to, and then there's the counter response. And when you have charged emotions, those gaps get smaller and smaller. So if you're having a sense of urgency, you're having emotion and anger, frustration, fear, 
it really collapses. And so part of this whole task management and making decisions is kind of breathing space into your day. I love that story about that client. And I think that what can happen also is we tend to do what we do well, and then we assign kind of meaning and value around that. So if being responsive to emails is part of the job, if we do it pretty well, we'll kind of elevate the value of that and then start to diminish the other work, devalue it. It's just a coping mechanism. But there's a real delineation there between kind of responsive, reactive type work and more of the intentional deep work. I was just tweeting about that on their Translating ADHD channel about, you know, snorkeling. There's a difference between snorkeling and scuba. That snorkeling is really this sort of, you're dabbling, you know, anyone can go and snorkel. You're on the surface, it's safe. Scuba is a whole nother commitment, a skill set, a dedication. And so that deep work is hard. It's hard, especially when you've got a lot of stuff coming over your transom vying for your attention. So as you said last week, Shelly, it's like when we make our list, when we make our three items that we determine, like, these are the things I want to work on, then it's really a matter of defending those intentions, defending that plan, protecting that time. And thinking about how can I prepare to do a deep dive? Because doing a deep dive is not the same as just putting on a mask and going for a swim. Absolutely. And I have a relevant example here to share from my own week last week, where my intention was to finish unpacking in a broad way, meaning get the boxes emptied, get the cardboard out of the house. And get things in their general right neighborhood within the house. So if it's a kitchen item in the kitchen, right, I can organize cabinets and closets and make it nicer later. Let's get things in their designated neighborhood first, because that's the point in which I see that I'm going to hit a turning point here with my house. Now, that's not done. And let me tell you why. I started with a box of bathroom items and I opened up the linen closet in the bathroom. There were some wire shelves left by the previous owner that hang on the door, and they were gross. So rather than unpacking into those wire shelves, I took them off the door, drug them into the shower with me, spent a good hour spraying, scrubbing, walking away, coming back, spraying, scrubbing, walking away, coming back, drying them off, rehanging them, and spent probably another two hours unpacking that linen closet. Now. In hindsight, here's what my learning is for myself, because I've gotten a lot better overall about decision-making, staying on task, letting it be easy, some of my core philosophies. But when I'm really overwhelmed and when a task is just too big or when I have too many tasks at once, I go looking for completion. And so what I was looking for there was a completion. I wanted a visual aesthetic win in this closet. And in this case, it was to the detriment of that time that could have been so much better spent moving the bigger project of feeling like my house is settled enough and livable enough forward. So if you had a do-over, knowing what you know now, like let's just say you got to do that over again, but having this learning and this remembering, how would you do it differently? I would have had a pause. 
the impulse to clean those shelves would have been there. And I would have said, okay, wait, step back. What are we trying to do today? We're trying to get boxes emptied. Bathroom items are all in their own containers. So it is not going to hurt anything to put toilet bowl cleaner and face wash on a slightly scuzzy shelf. And someday in the future, when I want to tackle deep cleaning this bathroom for the first time, that would be a great time to tackle this as well. But for now, let's keep the eye on the prize of getting the boxes unpacked. Just put the stuff on the shelves. It's not a big deal to take it back off the shelves later to clean them. Nobody sees those shelves but you. Yeah, the I, I think last week, again, you were saying, we were talking about some prompts, like some great prompting questions around context. Why does this matter? Keeping an eye on the bigger prize. And in the midst of the signal, the quick win, where there's dopamine to be had. There's, ah, the brain just can be like, ah, that feels good. Just finish that. Looking for that completion to step back and really consider what's the bigger gain. And that, again, is another ADHD thing where it's really hard for us to hold that moment of gratification that is over the time horizon. It's not necessarily today. But what is the, again, looking at the campaign and moving the campaign forward? That's that pause and that sort of considering holding that bigger objective, that bigger goal, which is not easy to do. No, it's not. And even as someone that works with people on doing that every day, there's an example from this week where I missed a decision point. And so, I made a decision and started acting without consciously realizing that's what I had done. And it wasn't until after I had finished and I realized how little I had left in the tank to do anything else that day that I saw my misstep. Now, this is, I think, again, back to what I was saying earlier about decisions and this sort of expectation that we have to get it right on the front side. And in coaching, in part, coaching is about learning about your lived experience. And this is Mount Rainier stuff, is that we will have our experience and we won't take away the best learning from that experience. And so where we started at the beginning of the call was your client's experience of distinguishing error message with system failure. She has that learning now that she can take and apply forward. And so listeners as you're trying to make better decisions in your day, is to look at this as an iterative process, meaning taking the learning and applying it forward. You have this learning, Shelley, that now you can take and apply it forward to kind of see this as a cycle. You're not going to be successful all the time. So going for that kind of law of averages of aiming for 75, 80%, and then the quick kind of like, okay, what's the learning? What's the error message and how do we correct and go forward? And back to what we were talking last week around our planners and doers, it's just a mix, a little bit of, if you're a planner, to kind of get into a little action, a little testing, a little evaluating. If you're a doer, it's the other way. If you're going fast, tap the brakes and check in. Okay, am I going according to plan? Am I off track? 
it's often the case that we'll go off a tangent and then we'll disappear for several hours and not be able to get back. So it's kind of like that just checking in. Cam, I actually want to share a little bit more from that conversation with my client and error message versus system failure, because she came up with three points to check in on herself with. So it's a feeling she gets, a feeling that feels like a system failure that she's reframing as an error message. So how do I check in on the error message? Point one was maybe I don't have enough information. And in her case, maybe I need to go back to the client and ask better questions because we were talking about work with her clients at this point. Number two was maybe there is something that I don't know. There is an opportunity to learn here. What do I need to learn? What can I get excited about learning? Point number three, maybe I've zoomed out too far on the project and I would add to her statement here or zoomed in too far because my example was a zoomed in too far. So if I've zoomed out too far, I can break it down to something within the project that I can get excited about. That is the decision before me, is what can I break it down to that I can get excited about? On the flip side, if you've zoomed in too far, what's the bigger goal here? And therefore, what is good enough for right now in service of that bigger goal? Love that example. And actually, just before our call, I was talking to a client and it was a similar prompt, the prompt around what is it that I don't know? What is an unknown? And just like you said last week with these prompting questions of, is this a place for a decision in choosing the type of caulk you're going to get for your door? Is this a place for a decision to put these out there proactively? And I love what you said about using feelings, because we've talked about this before of, we can be so in our head and kind of so into the signal du jour, the signal of what our brain is wanting in that moment to check in with what is the body telling us? What are we feeling? That same person along with that is like, what am I feeling anxious about? He has that as a prompt. Oh, I'm anxious about preparing well enough for this camera shoot and getting in there and making sure all the equipment works. But just using that as a cue, what are the unknowns? One that I like is what might I be downplaying? Because guess what? We tend to downplay in the name of moving forward. We mitigate, try to get to the end of our day. Yeah, we downplay or we catastrophize, right? We tend to live on either extreme so often where we're either minimizing, downplaying, sort of blocking out the effects something that isn't done might be having on us, or we're overblowing it and we're making mountains out of molehills. This is a lot of our clients and email and that wall of awful to borrow Brendan's metaphor that gets thrown up around email. Well, I am a little late now. So how does that make me look? And what must they be thinking? And it becomes this really, really overblown issue with all this emotion surrounding it. So it's like stamping down the emotion or letting it blow up. Right. You know what I'm appreciating too, as we're discussing this, it's, it's sort of looking at your task list as something that you engage with. It's not just this reminder of things you've committed to. Often what people will do is they'll put things down 
And it really isn't descriptive enough of what the actual intention or action is. And that's especially, again, these things that are more nuanced, more complicated. There might be multiple steps within there. And I'm noticing as we're talking here, it's, it's about this kind of engagement with the list. You said last week, a part of that brain dump is to get it out of our heads. When I called you Sunday morning, in part, it was me getting these thoughts out of my head into this shared space so we can kind of look at it, grapple with it, get our hands dirty. And that's, I think, really important. There's another thing that happens is I think that many people will think that any kind of task management or managing your day is like extra work. Like it's, it somehow shouldn't happen in your workday. And that could not be farther from the truth. You developing your intentions for the day need to live in your day. Don't try to do that at 11 o'clock at night when you are absolutely zapped. It's something that needs to be incorporated in your day. And again, an easy way to kind of see what your intentions are and come back to that. You know, I've got a couple different things that I have here, but one thing that works more than anything is a single sheet of paper that I fold in half and I put all my intentions on that. And it works for me because it's easily accessible and I can engage with it. And it reminds me of what I got going, what I already decided I was going to work on today. Do I always get through it all the time? No, I don't. But it's something that's engageable, I'm considering through the day. Cam, I'm glad that you went back to the task list because learning to engage and re-engage with it, learning to honor the decisions that you've already made as far as what you're committed to for today is something that takes time. And this is where individual manifestation matters. And I've had clients come up with so many different ways of interacting with the basic idea of a daily list, but modified to work for them. For example, I have a client, that same client that sparred the Freedom From Freedom To episode. You know, she's got that on board so heavily that a task list or a to-do list feels too rigid to her. She doesn't like to feel that locked in. So instead, she goes for six things or so, a menu of choices, some options for the day, depending upon how her day unfolds. That makes it feel less rigid for her. I have another client who uses a visual system with post-it notes because the ability to pull the post-it note down when he is finished and crumple it up and put it in the recycle bin, there's something cathartic or final or rewarding about that for him. And the visual of what is on his plate as individual post-it notes is very, very helpful. So Again, the three-step system is a starting place. It's not an ending place. And so what you can be considering, listener, is how can I develop this in a way where I am interacting with it on a daily basis and I am making good decisions about my time and I am more often than not honoring those decisions. I am getting to those things. And some of the other things that get in the way that aren't decision-related are going to be some of the upcoming episodes that we have. So don't worry. We know that there's more there than just deciding to do a thing and then doing it. Because Cam, if we could just decide to do a thing and do it, oh, things would be a lot easier for those of us with ADHD, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. And I, 
I'd be out of a job, Shelly, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so decision-making is a piece and it's a big piece because it's the piece that gives us back control over what matters to us. Yeah. The other pieces are things that we're going to look at in upcoming episodes. Yeah. With that list, I think there's another thing to consider. A couple more, if we're sort of moving in that direction of like how to make decisions in your day, I think that because we make so many decisions, I mean, up to 35,000 decisions a day, it's that finding that way to kind of link together certain activities so there's less decisions to be made. We said this last week of saving, really focusing on the decisions that really matter and maybe not putting too much time, effort, and energy into what flipping cock to buy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The other thing is looking at your environment. How does it support you around decision-making and maybe a decision-making process? How does it detract from it? There are certain environments that can just, again, it's all about being responsive and crisis-driven, and it's so hard to protect your time. But there's other places where kind of looking around and noticing what's in place to support you around making decisions that you can stand by. And that's sort of, again, I, I think about your own rubric of fun, easy, hard that we've talked about months ago that you've kind of just incorporated into. I'm going to just roll through a fun thing, a hard thing, and an easy thing. I try to balance the snorkeling work and a deep dive every day. Because I know that if I just do the snorkeling, I'm never going to get to the deep scuba work that's so relevant, that is about those things that are Q2 that only matter to us. And then finally, it's like finding others that can support your agenda. So that process of understand, own, and translate, it's about protecting your intentions and your task list, but it's also protecting and articulating your value and having others to buy in with that because it's so hard to protect it just by ourselves, right? To protect it and then try to do it. But when we get others on board to see how we add value, it gets so much easier. Not just that, Cam, but when we see how we add value because we so often discount the good parts of our uniquely wired brains and how those can contribute because of the things that we are struggling with. And we've covered that extensively in previous episodes, but it's worth repeating again. I kind of want to say one little thing about environment because you brought that up briefly. And what I want to say is there is a reason that my office is the first room that is unpacked and put together. And the only thing it's waiting for is for me to hang the artwork. And that is because for me, Personally, my office is the epicenter of my life, both home and business. It's where I run my household. It's where I plan my day. It's where I run my business. It's where I record this show. And it is my space that is separate and apart from the rest of my home. So that when things at home get overwhelming or things at work get overwhelming, I have a space where I can retreat to and think clearly about what needs to happen next. What do I need to turn my attention toward? So I almost think, I know we've talked about environment before, but I think that's one that we can bookmark for revisiting too, because there's a lot to say. And 
again, it's so highly individual that my experience of having one place for everything is not necessarily my client's experience. I have a client who has a different space for everything. And so in COVID times, recreating that experience of different spaces was a big part of getting her back into the swing of having a meaningful workday and being able to focus on the different buckets that mattered to her and making good decisions about what to do when. And just there, back to your story about the choice you made about doing the closet and not pushing the bigger agenda forward, you were successful here with this, let's set up the office because I know this really matters. This is the place where things happen. This is where I can think clearly so I can take on these other things. So that was a priority and you did get a meaningful completion there. I did. Thank you for acknowledging that for me, Cam. I appreciate that. And you, and the wall looks great, by the Thanks. way. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so thrilled with it. And I will say that area number two, which is connected to my office because my office is a bonus room off of my bedroom was my bedroom. Not because they're connected, but because my bedroom is my place I go to rest. And when my bedroom is cluttered and messy and visually noisy, it does not feel restful to me. So the rest of the house is still a disaster. But my primary goal was I took one week off from client work. How can I be ready to get back into the swing of things alongside this big project of settling into a new house? And those were the decisions I made to support that goal. Right. And like these decisions that are focused on taking care of your own bandwidth, they're decisions that are made so you can make better decisions. I think leading with that, recognizing what are the self-care practices? What are the environments that are conducive to better decision making? Yeah. I think that's a nice spot for us to wrap for today, Cam. So if you like what we're doing here on the show, you can help us out by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen. We did notice that a couple of people responded to Cam's aggressive ask a couple of weeks ago for reviews. So thank you. Your reviews help other people find the show. So if you have some bandwidth for that this week, that is the number one way you can help us out. Another way you can help is become a financial supporter of the show for five bucks a month. You can become a patron. Visit the website, translatingadhd.com. Click on the Patreon link in the upper right-hand corner. And for $5 a month, you gain access to our Discord server where we talk about recent episodes with the subscribers and where subscribers help each other with things like accountability and doing their own translating work. It's really incredible to see how that community has sort of developed beyond you and I into something where people are now supporting each other on a daily basis in doing both daily accountability work and higher level translating ADHD work. Yeah. And great above the lunch counter work. Like, yeah. I had a quote ready to read, but I'll read it next time. So yeah, it's, well, it's you know, so good. It was good. So I almost think that quote is a whole episode. The more I think about it, Cam. Um, so teaser teaser <laughs> boy, like I'm telling you, we hit a year and things are just falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, we're good. I, I, I have a little side. I was going to like do a little bit on, you know, the fact that we asked for 52 and we got it. And then 53 has been a real rough 
one to put in the can. I was going to say, you know, I went to the podcast Oracle and, you know, <laughs> it wasn't good. I'm telling you. Here we are. Yeah, We're- this is our this is our second crack at this. So you guys get what you get. We're doing our best here. Um, and we know that you appreciate us putting out a show weekly more than you appreciate us putting a perfect show out weekly. So nice. with nice that being said. said, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. See ya.